SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yama, welcome to NITV Radio. Bertrand Tungandame Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandame. Coming up in your program this Monday, the 4th of November, we have a conversation with Matthew Karakulakis, an adept negotiator and seasoned lawyer, talking about rolling through negotiations, his new podcast series that seeks to serve as a gateway to mastering the art of effective negotiations. Also in your program this Monday afternoon, a new national framework tracking the health and well-being of young people across Australia has been launched amid worsening health outcomes for young people in remote and regional First Nations communities. Also on NITV Radio today, Auntie Sue Hopkins, a proud Gumbangir elder, shares her story of growing up at Ferguson's Cottage, now recognised as a local landmark. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Broadcasting today from uh, the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Indigenous Australians joined peaceful protest for Gaza ceasefire outside UN Climate Summit in Dubai. A supermarket inquiry looms as Agriculture Minister warns against price gouging. And former Australian immigration detainees could face the same restrictions as terrorists. Peaceful protest calling for a ceasefire in Gaza has been held at the UN Climate Summit in Dubai. It was a rare sight for United Arab Emirates residents as it was the first protest in support of Palestinians since the Israel-Hamas war broke out. The UAE has stringent rules against demonstrations, but COP28 participants were allowed to protest as long as they followed strict guidelines. A chart of free A chant of free Palestine was quickly hushed by the organizers of the protest in accordance with the UN rules. The word Palestine was visibly absent from all signs, banners, posters and t-shirts. Activists and indigenous people spoke with the applause and cheers of participants. Among them is Ricky Dunk, an Australian activist from the Gatanji Wakaya Nation. I mean, I think the the message is clear, like... uh For example, indigenous peoples in Australia, um, we have to remember our history. Apartheid actually came from Australia, from the white Australian policy. And so when we are seeing people being killed, dispossessed of land, um, 
it hurts to see that same thing happening to other people. The Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation has launched a new centre of excellence for Aboriginal families' well-being dedicated to advancing the rights, social and emotional well-being of families in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities throughout Victoria. The centre will seek to influence positive change by amplifying the voices of Aboriginal families and empowering them to shape policies and practices that promote their social well-being, self-determination and prosperity. Virtual CEO Dr. Jill Callahan says the Center of Excellence for Aboriginal Families' Wellbeing is about celebrating the strength of Aboriginal families and championing Aboriginal ways of being, knowing and doing to empower generations. The Federal Agriculture Minister, Mary Watt, has issued a stern warning to supermarkets to not profit of hard-working Aussies in the lead-up to Christmas. His call comes as Coles and Woolworths look set to face a parliamentary committee inquiring into whether they are price-gouging amid cost-of-living pressures. The Greens-led inquiry, set to be established this week, will investigate grocery prices, market power and large profit margins with the bosses of both major supermarkets set to be called into hearings. Green Senator Nick McKim told Seven Sunrise the inquiry will set out to find out how much the supermarket giants pay for things. Oh, well, we're really looking forward to this. It's it's impossible to arrive at the supermarket checkout these days and not be just aghast at you know how many dollars worth of uh, food and groceries you've got in your shop in your in your shopping trolley. And at the same time, Coles and Woolies are raking in billions of dollars in profits. So we want to have a look at a whole range of things, but in particular, we want to have a look at how much Coles and Woolies are paying for the things they sell in their supermarkets and actually how much they are marking them up because the very very strong argument that they are engaged in price gouging in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis. The government and coalition are set to put the finishing touches to a regime that will treat released immigration detainees in a similar way to terrorist offenders. Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill is working on an expansion of the preventative detention regime that applies to terrorists. Ms O'Neill wants the same principle applied to a cohort of more than 140 former immigration detainees who were released after a High Court decision ruled indefinite detention was illegal. The cohort includes murderers and sex offenders as well as others who were convicted of minor crimes and were awaiting deportation. Under the new measures, those people recently released could be reincarcerated if a court is satisfied there is a high degree of probability that the person poses an unacceptable risk of committing a serious violent or sexual offence. The nation's leaders are preparing to discuss reforms to the National Disability Insurance Scheme at a national cabinet meeting this week with the government keen to curb spending growth. NDIS Minister Bill Shorten is understood to be looking at limiting growth in the scheme to 8% down from the current rate of 14%. New South Wales Premier Chris Mintz has told the Sydney Morning Herald there's some resistance from the states to Shorten's NDIS proposals, which will ask them to do more because they handed over our public servants and our money to the Commonwealth a decade ago for them to run it. There is also concern from neurodiverse Australians that people with autism, the most common disability, the most common disability in the NDIS, will be increasingly excluded or cut off from the scheme altogether.
Equal Access for Autism Chairman Peter Marshall has told SBS he hopes a solution can be found. Without preempting the discussions, we say there should be automatic inclusion. I mean, NDIS is there to support families uh, with disabilities. And indeed, there's so many families who are affected with children on the spectrum. We'd love to have that discussion about what can be achieved. Um, we'd love to be able to translate that into uh, seeing how we can match our aspirations with that of the NDIS. Injured people were being rushed to Gaza City's Al-Ahli Baptist Hospital on Sunday as Israel ordered more people in crowded southern Gaza to evacuate as it intensifies bombardment of the area. A health worker at Al-Ahli Baptist Hospital says more than 15 children were killed. Bodies were lined on the front yard of the hospital even as more bodies were brought in. The head of the hospital, Dr. Fadel Narim, says the number of injured injured spiked after the end of the week-long truce between Israel and Hamas. Honestly, the injuries this time are much more difficult than before the truce. The injuries are complex, open fractures that need urgent intervention as well as operations. We also received huge numbers of cases that are injured in the head and the abdomen, and all cases need a life-saving intervention. Israel is shifting its offensive to the southern half of the territory, saying that leaders of the Hamas military group are hiding there. Yemen's Houthi group claims its navy has attacked two ships, Unity Explorer and Number 9 in the Red Sea. Houthi military spokesperson Brigadier Yahya Sari says the attacks were carried out in support of the Palestinian people. With the help of God, the naval forces in the Yemeni armed forces have executed this morning an operation of targeting two vessels in Bab al-Mandab, which are Unity Explorer and Number 9 vessels. The first vessel was targeted by a missile, while the second by an explosive-laden drone. The targeting operation came after the two vessels rejected warnings from the Yemeni naval forces. The Yemeni armed forces will continue to prevent Israeli ships from navigating the Red and Arab Seas until the Israeli aggression against our steadfast brothers in the Gaza Strip stops. Israeli military spokesman Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari says neither ship has any connection to the state of Israel. This comes as the Pentagon says it's aware of reports regarding an attack on the U.S. warship USS Kani, for which the Houthis have not claimed a responsibility. And back home, the Gold Coast has scrapped its $700 million bid to host the 2026 Commonwealth Games after it failed to secure support from the state or federal governments. The Queensland Local Council had proposed a streamlined version of the Games after the Victorian government pulled out in July, citing caused blowouts. In a statement, Gold Coast Mayor Tom Tate says the council had tried its best, but Australia's reputation as a place that reneges on a global sports contract remains in tatters. And to sport to AFLW now, the Brisbane Lions have delivered a 17-point win over North Melbourne in the AFLW Grand Final. Brisbane forward Dakota Davidson kicked two last-quarter goals to help the Lions secure the Premiership win. The match's final scores were 44-27. to 27. 
Brisbane coach Greg Stachevich told Channel 7 Davidson's appearance on the field was unsure leading up to the final due to a knee injury in the preliminary. Saturday night last week I was planning for a different looking forward line. Um, Sunday morning when we got a bit of a nondescript scan back we were sort of still waiting to see what it looked like and then by Sunday afternoon we knew that she was right to go basically so it's Normally the medical staff come to us pessimistically, <laughs> but when they actually come to you optimistically, I'm thinking, ooh, we're, we're some chance here. So um, she's such an important part of our group, and um, both from an energy, but she's a player. And having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, a mostly cloudy day and a top of 32, Perth, partly cloudy 27, Adelaide, sunny 34, Melbourne, mostly sunny 30, Hobart, partly cloudy 24, Albury, Wodonga, mostly sunny 28, Canberra, partly cloudy 26, Wollongong, similar conditions 22, Sydney, partly cloudy 25, Newcastle, much the same, 25 degrees, Brisbane, a shower or two, 31, Townsville, mostly sunny 32, Keynes, similar conditions 34, Early Springs, sunny 39, Darwin, a shower or two and a possible storm, 34, and the Torres Strait Islands, partly cloudy day ahead and a top of 33 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Welcome back. I am Baitran Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri Waiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Still to come in your program, a new national framework tracking the health and well-being of young people across Australia has been launched amid worsening health outcomes for young people in regional and remote First Nations communities. Also on NITV Radio this Monday afternoon, Auntie Sue Hopkins, a proud Gumbangir elder, shares her story of growing up at Ferguson's Cottage, now recognised as a local landmark. But first, let's explore a new podcast series about mastering the art of negotiations like a jiu-jitsu champion with the series founder and host. joined by Matthew Karkulakis, founder and CEO of AMK Law, a 100% Indigenous-owned law firm. Just on the heels of winning an Australasian industry accolade, Matthew has just embarked on a new venture with the launch of a new podcast, Rolling Through Negotiations. Matthew, first of all, congratulations on uh, your new initiative and welcome to NITV Radio. Thank you, Bertrand. Thank you for the kind introduction and yeah i was also saying before we jumped on to this recording i was saying that i always appreciate your support so thank you for that as well bertrand you know great work i remember we did a few episodes of uh, tell me law and uh, you really enlightened our listeners they really enjoyed uh, your presentations and uh, how you made law sound like um child play when it's a very very complicated <laughs> matter and now you're launching a podcast to actually make it accessible to even more people. Tell us about uh, this uh, new podcast, Rolling Through Negotiations. How did the idea come about? Absolutely, Bertrand. And as is always the case, I'd just like to always 
uh, give an acknowledgement to traditional owners of the land that we're on today. I'm here on Ghana country. Um, since this is going to go online and, and people can be listening throughout Australia, I want to also pay respects to all First Nations peoples listening in and our elders past, present and future. I think that's a good segue as well, Bertrand, because I think that whatever we do as First Nations peoples, as uh, really all cultures, I believe that we we get our strength from those that have gone before us. And when it's launching a new venture, just like the Rolling Through Negotiations podcast, we again stand on the, uh, the shoulders of our own ancestors and elders as giants who give us the wisdom and, and information that we need. The podcast itself, Rolling Through Negotiations, it came uh, from two big interests that I've got. I really love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I also love law. It's occurred to me that in all the legal work that I do, it really does come down to negotiations, whether it is in a complex legal dispute, whether it's in a transaction type arrangement or writing contracts, there's always a negotiation piece. And so through the time that I've spent as a lawyer and also through the lessons that I've learned along my journey in practicing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it clicked to me that there's so many great strategies that are used from BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so many strategies that are used from law that I want to be able to share with listeners and do it in a way that's really conversational and also in a connected way where people listening in and, and becoming part of a rolling through negotiations network, they're also learning from amazing guests that we have on the program. And so the, the whole idea is to be able to have fun, but rolling through negotiations is also a platform to be able to share tips and to have a program that's not just the normal sort of business advice stuff, but it's a mixed way of learning some pretty cool Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu type lessons and strategies to, to make negotiating easier and more effective for people. That's, that's how it all started. Who is your target audience? I heard one of your episodes. I really enjoyed it. It's in a very accessible language. So accessible in a layman's language. It's not legalese. Uh, who are you targeting? Yeah, awesome. And thanks for that feedback, Bertrand. I think that legalese can be avoided and should be avoided because if people understand concepts well, they should be able to explain them well. And so um, that's one of the ways in which we communicate through rolling through negotiations in a way that is easy to understand and it's fun as well. And our, our target audience, it's really targeted for people who want to get better at negotiating. That can include people from across procurement teams, can include Aboriginal businesses, Aboriginal community, people that want to get better. For example, they might be on a board or CEO or they might even just want to be able to negotiate better in their employment strategies can be freelancers, consultants. There's a whole range of, of people that could be interested that are looking to sharpen the negotiation skills. I am proud of my cultural heritage and we will have you know, Aboriginal leaders and Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people and people from all different walks of life and cultural backgrounds because it's a real diverse um, type, type program. And I think that Negotiating is something that we all do, no matter what, what whether we are a stay-at-home mum, whether we're a corporate CEO, there's negotiating all the way through our lives. So the podcast is really for individuals that are interested in personal development 
And also, hey, I've got an interest in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and sporting-type concepts to then be able to apply negotiating skills and tactics to become much better in, in areas of life. So that's that's really what it's about in terms of who we're targeting, who we're trying to add value through, um, you know, within the podcast of rolling through negotiations. There's way, way, way so many topics to cover. Uh, how often and how can people find this podcast and tune in? Bertrand, the podcast come out every Thursday. So if you check out on Spotify and also on Apple Podcasts, listeners can get access to new episodes on a weekly basis. So every Thursday, a new episode comes out. But be careful, Bertrand, because if you listen to an episode, you might get hooked. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I listened to one of the episodes. I really, really enjoyed the one uh, you had with uh, the fast operational man um you know who was appointed to a diplomatic post and uh, yes. really both of you made negotiation sound like a, a joke whereas it's a very serious matter you spoke about very serious topics and yet really in a very conversational very easy and accessible language and also you really dissected the different concepts and techniques in really layman's uh, language I really appreciate that. Yeah, I really appreciate that feedback, Bertrand, because negotiations, negotiating is something that I believe that we learn as a very young age. You think about it as a baby. For babies, hungry and they they want their milk, they're going to negotiate through crying in whatever way they can to get their outcome. And I believe that as people, we always and are consistently negotiating, but I also believe that it means there's a level of responsibility so that as people, we're always putting that human side first and connecting with people and looking for ways in which we can achieve really good outcomes um, you know, for community overall. And I think negotiating is a really powerful skill to be able to achieve outcomes that benefit a whole heap of people. And um, can you give us a sneak peek of uh, some other guests uh, you will be having uh, just to entice us to even tune in even more and learn more about uh, this podcast? Yes. Some of the guests that we've got coming on well, this Thursday, we've got a pretty amazing episode being released with uh, a gun barrister called Andrew Burnett. He's someone that we've worked alongside and also we met initially on the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu training mats. And so this upcoming episode on rolling through negotiations is where Andrew's going to be speaking about first-hand tips, strategies, and the way that he negotiates in terms of the high-stakes legal disputes that he's involved in. And he'll be also explaining the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu principles that apply to his own negotiations. And we have a really good, friendly chat that's, again, really easy to understand. That's going to be an amazing episode coming out. I've got um, some AFL... And, and also past AFL football players lined up to be on the program. Somebody that I really want to get on the program are two uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coaches that have been instrumental to me. One is a multiple world champion who I'm currently training with. His name is Leo Ruda. Another one is Tiago Stefanuti, who's an amazing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner and been a great teacher of mine over the years. So they're just some of the guests that are coming up. But the list of guests getting really exciting and we're getting some really amazing traction and, and interest into rolling through negotiations as well. Yeah, no, it's good you bring in these uh, sporting uh, 
metaphor and also approach uh, tackling these t- t- tough issues is uh, a way to see the way I can uh, even express this, uh, you know, describe this uh, podcast. It tackles tough questions and easily actually overcomes them. Now, before I let you go, any closing thoughts or maybe something to add to the conversation, Matthew? Yeah, I'd love to give uh, a tip from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and how it applies to negotiations that listeners might be interested in. And the tip is to do with pressure, right? So in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's a, it's a sport about grappling. It, it, it's like like almost like wrestling-focused if you haven't heard of it, but it's a really popular sport these days as well. And I personally, I love pressure in Jiu-Jitsu because I feel like if there's pressure, then then the other person mentally can start flowing in the direction that you want them to be in. And then you can get good positions in that jiu-jitsu context. And just like that in negotiations, if you can apply the right kind of pressure at the right time, then you can direct the channeling of that negotiation into the direction and outcomes that you want to achieve. So I'd love to leave listeners to to, to uh, this segment with you, Bertrand, with that um tip about pressure and would love to also encourage everyone to jump on board check out rolling through negotiations podcast because it's a real potent collective resource for anyone that's looking to master the art of negotiation or anyone that just wants to learn how to communicate better with confidence and to be able to work through conflicts and resolve matters more easily and where can one find your podcast? You kind of mentioned Spotify. Is it only on Spotify platform or there are other platforms? So Rolling Through Negotiations is on Spotify and also on Apple Podcasts. If you like an episode of Rolling Through Negotiations, you can then listen in and follow the show. And if you follow Rolling Through Negotiations, and every Thursday you can get a notification each and every time a new episode comes out. Excellent. We'll put the word out there. Matthew Karakalakis, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today. And uh, congratulations once again on a very, very powerful podcast. Thank you for your support, Bertrand. Now time for a break. But when we come back, we explore a new framework that tracks the health and well-being of young people across Australia. And if you want to listen to this conversation again with uh, Matthew Karakulakis, you can find it uh, on our website. Stay tuned. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. And now, a new national framework tracking the health and well-being of young people across Australia has been launched in hopes of encouraging significant improvements before 2030. The Victorian Health Promotion Foundation, the Murdoch Children's Research Institute and the Australian Research Alliance for Children and Youth have joined forces warning that the health and well-being of Australia's youth is on the decline. Sam Dover reports... The health and well-being of a nation's children and the ability for them to live longer and healthier lives than those who came before is often considered one of the key indicators of societal progress. Australia is consistently ranked as one of the wealthiest countries in the world per capita. So why then is the health of children in Australia not only stagnating, but in some cases moving backwards? 
This week saw the launch of a national framework tracking the health of young people from the Victorian Health Promotion Foundation, the Murdoch Children's Research Institute and the Australian Research Alliance for Children and Youth. They call the framework the Future Healthy Countdown 2030 and it will deliver annual reports in hopes of encouraging real systemic change in healthcare offerings over the next seven years. Dr. Sandro DeMeo is the CEO of the Victorian Health Promotion Foundation, or VicHealth. The, the health and well-being of our children and young people, you know, is is going backwards in many communities, uh, and certainly not progressing in the ways that we've committed and the ways that uh, we want and, and should be. So, you know, this this new supplement uh, tracks a range of really critical areas of child and adolescent health and well-being from. You know, looking at the material basics, access to the, the foundations that children and young people need to be able to thrive, but also, of course, you know, access to a sustainable, healthy uh, environment and a sense of uh, identity uh, and culture. In a report published in the Medical Journal of Australia, the combined health organisations highlighted factors that have led to growing negative health outcomes for children, including increasing wealth inequality, low levels of children achieving physical activity recommendations, and higher rates of psychological distress compared with older adults. Their data shows that one in six young people are living in poverty. They also highlight that 24% of 5- to 14-year-olds are overweight or dealing with obesity, moving to 41% for 15- to 24-year-olds, which increases risks of diseases such as diabetes, heart disease, and some cancers. Dr. DeMeo says poverty and cost-of-living pressures directly impacts this relationship to food and physical health. It's things like being able to afford access and enjoy good food you know it's about proper housing if, if kids are living environments or young people can't afford rent uh, to be able to put a quality roof over their heads a place to be able to cook and enjoy and share food um, you know these things impact on their health uh, and on their food security we've seen a doubling of food insecurity over the last couple of years as the, as the cost of living crisis uh, affects young people who are particularly sensitive to cost of, of living pressures. Another key area of concern the National Framework has identified is the worsening mental health of young people in Australia, with data showing that 40% of 16 to 24-year-olds meet the criteria for a mental disorder. Dr. DeMeo says improvements in the ability to identify these illnesses earlier may be a small factor, but he claims the increase in mental illness is undeniable. When it comes to mental health, there, there has been you know, improvements in diagnostics that, that mean we're probably catching young people earlier, but there absolutely has been a significant increase in the last few years, a very concerning increase uh, in poorer mental health. And this is due to issues like the very real uh, psychological effects and, and stress caused by climate change, uh, rising cost of living. But then deeper issues. We know racism is a major driver of poorer mental health uh, in young people in Australia. Um, and, and a protective factor uh, is their ability to you know, connect with others. Khalid Muse is a 19-year-old associate research fellow at Deakin University and also served as one of the lead young authors in the National Frameworks report. He says it's vital that a diverse array of young voices are included as an integral part of any strategy to address youth health outcomes.
I was bringing sort of a broader perspective of uh, the need to include young voices like mine in decision making. Uh, but likewise, I was very critical um, in my sense of reflecting and contributing in the sense that I am a young African person um, who is a key advocate in these issues and recognizing that there's engines of exclusion, inequity and injustice that drive some of these issues. So things like racism and discrimination are at the forefront of some of these challenges. Jamie Newman is the Chief Executive Officer of the Orange Aboriginal Medical Service in inland New South Wales. He says worsening health outcomes for youth in regional First Nations communities are well known, but the solutions are never straightforward. We know that there's escalation with our young people around their mental health. We know there's escalation with our young people around um, STI BBVs and also around suicidal tendencies. The societal issues that our young people face, racism is one of them, where there's mainstream, uh, where services denied or access denied. But we also have that conflict within Aboriginal communities amongst our own people. And trying to address that is going to be one of our biggest challenges moving forward if we're going to improve access and connection with our young people in our communities. Mr Newman says top-down initiatives that attempt to improve health outcomes for Indigenous youth never work because they fail to listen to the voices of the young people themselves. Young people need to be heard. Unfortunately, they have not been heard for generations. Yet, sadly, they're the generation we're trying to change. But if they don't have input into what that change looks like, how it's going to be delivered, when it's going to be delivered, where it's going to be delivered we'll never ever engage with the cohort that we need to. Because forever a day, we're telling them this is what they need to do. That has never worked for our young people. They need to be involved in their healthcare. They need to, we need to be listening and we need to be redesigning or reshaping our services that caters to their need. Khalid Muse agrees that centering youth voices is key. He says establishing the Future Healthy Countdown 2030 framework has been a helpful leaping off point, but a lot of work now needs to be done. I think it's really important to share the space and to realise that young people as voices are not being equitably heard in decision-making spaces. I think this framework really sets a good understanding of how we can include young voices. Definitely, this is not the end. There is definitely a lot of work uh, to build around it, to promote it, and to really shift the dial in the next seven years. Sam Dover, SBS News. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. And now the story of Prad Gumbanjir Elda, Sue Hopkins which was uh, published in uh, the SBS's uh, Conversation on Country podcast uh, series. In this episode, Auntie Sue shares her story of growing up at Ferguson's Cottage, which was once a caretaker's cottage where her grandfather had taken up a residence. Ferguson, Ferguson's Cottage has now been uh, heritage listed, recognized for its historic, social and cultural significance to Kumbanjir people and represents the place where the reconciliation process began for Coffs Harbour. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are warned that the following recordings may contain the sounds and voices of deceased persons. Conversations on Country is a series of diverse stories of place and being of the Gumbangir, Dangati, Biripai and Waramai nations. 
You could hear the waves of the night time, that's how close it was. It was a hop, step and a jump, as the saying used to go. So, yeah, it wasn't far at all. Um, I'm Sue Hoskins. Um, my maiden name was Ferguson. Ferguson Cottage, it was a caretaker's cottage for the Public Works Department, which was building where the Deep Sea Fishing Club used to be. And they, they had a caretaker there. Um, and when it moved, he moved. He didn't have that position anymore. So, yeah, the, the place was... I suppose showing appreciation, this is how I put it anyways, for the, you know, the time my grandfather worked with the public works and, yeah, just appreciation for his part in working down there. For me, it was a jewel in the crown. And it was beautiful because we had the most beautiful scenery. We just had to walk down to the beach for a swim or try and catch worms for Nan to go fishing um, or get pippies, um, whatever you could, you know, use for bait. Mum and them used to sit up on the veranda whenever we went swimming just to sort of keep an eye on um, that we were okay. When I moved out here to East here. That's when Ferguson Cottage was, I'll say, registered as a heritage listing, which made me so proud and happy that, you know, somewhere where my nan and grandfather lived was being put on that list because it's not a, it's not an easy achievement to to be heritage listed. Um, I cried when I got that um, uh, that news. I always say to myself and other people, I believe my grandmother was the founder of reconciliation. Because when we were kids, it wasn't easy. Like school, you'd get told, oh, when you're 15, you could leave. But my grandmother was, was adamant that, we go to school and get an education because she always said, you know, you're as good as the next person. And Nan was a person that lived in both worlds. You know, she had white friends as well as Aboriginal family and extended family friends. Nan even had that, um, <laughs> I don't know whether charisma is the right word, but even the police would have a laugh with Nan and they always respected my Nan and they'd always go to Nan and talk to Nan about things. And another great friend she had was the Simmons um, and I think the old Mr Simmons, I think his name was Jack, I'm not sure, but um, he loved fishing and so did Nan. So... When he'd go fishing, he'd um, he'd pull into net to where Ferguson Cottage is, have a yarn with Nan and ask her to go fishing. <laughs> and the reason behind that was because Nan used to make him cook him dampers in the sand and he loved that. He'd bring the flour and the water and whatever else. So that to me was 
my feelings about reconciliation because my nan could live in both worlds. We're back, back in them days. It was hard for Aboriginal people, but my nan was one in a million. And probably everyone says that about their grandparents, but to me she was one in a million. We used to have some big storms and big seas. Um, the You'd see the waves breaking over the break wall and um, we'd virtually stay in bed because we had to walk to school and there was no way Nan had let us walk to school in that weather. But the, the tides used to get really high there and the waves were huge. We had a little chip heater that we had to get wood and make a fire and heat the water up to have a bath. There wasn't any shower, just a bath. Um, and the fridge was, um, first off, it was an ice box and the men used to have to go down and buy a block of ice coming, and then they used to wrap it up in a sugar bag. Then Nan got a kerosene fridge where we had to, like, fill a, like a tank with kerosene, light the, I'll say, pilot light until the basic electric fridges came out um, and then did have one of those. The only entertainment we had was a radio um, and the only thing, <laughs> 10 o'clock comes, you couldn't make a noise because that was when Nan's and, and Mum's Cereals were on, and I still remember one was called Dr. Paul, and the other one was Portia Faces Life. So they went for about oh, half an hour or so, but within that time, you could not make a noise, otherwise, you'd interrupt and you'd get into trouble. <laughs> Nan was the boss, if we wanted to do anything, we had to get. We'd ask Mum, but go and ask your grandmother. So, you know, it was a chain of events before a yes or a no was given. My grandfather passed away first, and Nan was there. She lived there. My parents broke up, and Mum moved over there with Nan. Yeah, my mum, my mum lived there then for years and years and years. I was there when I had my first child, my eldest daughter, Victoria. I went, actually went to the hospital from there. And me and my husband lived there for a while and then we moved out with his parents. I think I used to live at Wangala and I'd go down there and maybe spend weekends or take the kids down and spend the day um, and, you know, take them to the beach because that was, that was it, uh, Ferguson Cottage. I don't go down there anymore. Um, from what I've heard, um, it's virtually fallen down, you know, the, the years of neglect, I suppose. I'm sorry, but, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just fallen in. And I think it's disrespect to my grandmother 
and what she stood for in this community. You know, we should try as hard as we can to have that place restored. Yeah, in honour of my nan and my grandfather. Yeah, just to show respect for an Aboriginal place that has been heritage listed. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. That was uh, Mary Jane by uh, Baker Boy, also featuring uh, KTB. And uh, this brings us to the end of uh, today's program, uh, this Monday afternoon, uh, December the 4th. And ITV Radio will be back on Wednesday and Friday with more stories and news from uh, right across the country. I'm Patron Tonandame, thanking you for your company this afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. <laughs>